international anthem. A record label embodied by community. A community of artists, musicians, and cultural producers dedicated to their craft. Born in Chicago and proudly sprouting from the city's creative musical traditions, the community has grown into a global network of like-minded contributors true to the label's name. I'm Ayana Contreras, and in this program, we'll be diving deep into the albums of International Anthem, in conversation with the creators, coloring the context, sharing the more intimate stories, and celebrating the humanity that's inherent in what you hear. Stay tuned. ShopDustyGroove.com for a legendary selection of jazz, soul, and plenty more. They add hundreds of new titles daily on both vinyl and CD, and offer a top-shelf assortment of music you're not likely to find at your local record store. All reasonably priced, with shipping to every corner of the globe. They also travel extensively to buy record collections, so give them a call in Chicago at 773-342-5800, or visit DustyGroove.com Right channel rear. Right channel rear. Left channel rear. Left channel rear. You are now ready for surround Stereo. This is the International Anthem Podcast. I'm Ayana Contreras. The summer of 2022 marked the Summer of Stepney, a season organized by this record label to celebrate the unsung genius composer, arranger, producer, and player, Charles Stepney. The celebration culminated on September 9th, the day that International Anthem presented the Maestro's debut solo album, Step on Step, which was culled from intimate basement tapes 46 years after his untimely death. The man who served as staff arranger at Chicago's famed Chess Records in the late 1960s and early 70s, deftly orchestrated timeless works by Minnie Ripperton, Terry Collier, Ramsey Lewis, The Dells, and Muddy Waters, among many other acts and perhaps most famously, arranged numerous albums in the 1970s for Earth, Wind & Fire. Yet despite his prolific output, Charles Stepney's name was relegated to the shadows. However, on May 29th, I joined with his daughters, Eber, Charlene, and Shantae, consistent champions for their father's legacy, in conversation on the front porch of the Hideout Inn in Chicago. Together, in front of an audience, we barely scratched the surface of Charles Stepney's brilliant story. I just want to mm. say, see, I'm trying not to cry. We're all wearing sunglasses because I know I'm going to cry. She's going to cry. Somebody's going to cry. We're going to cry. So right. just to yeah. let you know, because this is the culmination of so much hard work on the part of the Stepney sisters and so much love from the label and just love from the community. Um, so maybe we'll just do quick introductions. On the very end here, we've got Shantae Stepney. The baby. The baby, right. 
got Charlene Stepney. Yay. And of course, Eber Stepney. Yay. I tell this story a lot. The first time I ever recognized that I heard your father's work was in the 1990s. There was a re-release of the Terry Collier album, What Color Is Love? And my friend owned a record store, and he said to me, okay, yo, you've got to stop absolutely everything you're doing and listen to this record. And the record was Dancing Girl. And that record is like eight minutes long. But so much of it is your father's arrangement. You know, like, uh, the song itself is a beautiful song, but the arrangement, it literally reaffirmed things about myself that I didn't know existed. I was like 16. Here we go. It's starting. Sometimes when you hear something and you feel like that it's speaking to you in a very special way and it's speaking to a world that you want to see, it's something that sticks with you. And I think one of the things that if you're not familiar with Charles Stepney more broadly, that he contributed is sort of this Baroque soul sound, this huge orchestral sound that was always swinging and always building and always leaning into positive directions. Um, it's this music that is still with us today in so many ways. I mean, when Scotty put on Free from Denise Williams, which is one of the last albums he worked on in his lifetime, how many people, generations of people in this space w went right there, right? When we heard it, because it's, there's so much energy in it. So that's enough of me talking. <laughs> I wanted really to hear from you all growing up Particularly, I know Eber and Charlene had some really interesting experiences, but growing up in the house when he was making this music in the basement studio, like, did you have any sense of what the outside world was feeling about what was being created in those moments? young I, uh, I, I daddy died when I was 13 but what I do remember most and I still think about it and I'm glad I got my sunglasses on because you start crying what I remember most is this was our everyday life daddy waking up having breakfast he was an early riser and he saw us off to school most of the time sometimes he took us then he went right to work so we always heard him playing, there were always people in and out the house. I look at that picture of, uh, we've got this old black and white picture of Earth, Wind and Fire. When they first came to the house, well, they weren't that special to us because everybody came to the house. Everybody came to the house and everybody went to the basement. And the only reason we have the picture is because we told them that day, we were like, well, we taking a picture just in case you become famous, we can say, we knew you. And that's kind of how it went. But when I think about his passion, now that is what always triggers me. Because, you know, I was telling somebody yesterday, I didn't like reasons when he let me here. I was like, I really don't like it, whatever. It's, you know, people can't dance to it and see how much I know. But what I do know is he was very passionate, passionate about his work. So that meant 
That was what our life was. Daddy playing, somebody else playing, Donnie Hathaway in the basement, Tom Burrell in the basement, um, the Stewart family in the basement. Everybody was in the basement. So uh, I appreciate him for teaching us and me living in your passion. Living in your passion. Um, I didn't know about how long standing the work would be, but I thought it was amazing and beautiful work. My mother did too. My mother complimented him all the time on his effort and the caliber of the work that he was doing. So I think that um, honoring his work was a family tradition. His mother would be involved, his cousins would come and hear things and they would, they called him Sam, that was his nickname, and they would say, Woo, Sam, that, that is really great. We did know that at that time, the level of orchestration that he committed to was not necessarily marketable. And I remember when um, he released the Come to My Garden album for Minnie Ripperton, it was a big dispute between him and the marketing department because they did not know where to place it and they didn't push it. And my father wrote a letter saying, I painstakingly <laughs> wrote every note for every instrument and the least you could do is give it the respect it deserves so that people can hear it. Stevie Wonder wrote my dad a letter and said, I've worn out so many copies of this album, it's brilliant. And they weren't good friends, but they had a mutual admiration society. Um, so yeah, I did, I think it was going to be great. I, I really did. And um, when uh, Earth, Wind & Fire came along, um, my father sent me to a concert with a friend of his to see the Jackson Five, which was of course my idol band. And Earth, Wind & Fire opened. And I wasn't aware that my dad had been working with them for years. And they opened, and uh, when I got home, my dad said, how did you like the concert? I said, oh, my God, the concert was so great. There's a band that you should find out about. <laughs> they're, they're called Earth, Wind, and Fire. And he was like, and did you like them? I said, oh, I love them. And he said, and how was the Jackson 5? I said, oh, they were okay. They're okay. But you, you should find out about this Earth, Wind, and Fire band. And, uh, you know, of, of course I would have recognized so much of the cadences in his music, in the work that they did, because I didn't even know they were working together. I just knew that I loved them. And I think for him, and for me, because I was so young, we knew that this is a hit, because they've gone beyond the college circuit. They've literally gone into the high school, and I don't even think I was quite in high school yet. And I remember being on the bus, coming home from school with a friend of mine one day, and uh, she hung out at our house all the time, and the radio was on. It's teenagers always got the radio blasting. And she says, um, that's your father's music. So I says, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's your father's. And my friend, we think that's your father's music. Yes, that's your. I was like, really? We heard it at your house a gazillion <laughs> times. And I think that at that moment, even I knew, because it went just beyond my mutual admiration society, to my friends, and we were in high school at that point, and we were listening to Benny and the Jets. I remember offending Earth, Wind, and Fire because I wouldn't turn Benny and the Jets off. <laughs> uh, but, but my friends knew 
my friends do his music. It's interesting. Um, oh, please <laughs> clap that up. It's interesting because Maurice White, in his biography, he classified in the in Earth Wind Fire. Sort of the way that it worked out um, was that he was the quarterback, and he identified your father, Charles Stepney, as the coach. And people don't understand that. Like, I don't know that everybody thinks about that group in that sense, but that was those are words out of that man's mouth. And maybe people also don't understand how far back that relationship went, right? So, like, Maurice White was session drummer at Chess Records here in Chicago, worked alongside your father for many years at Chess, was in the Ramsey Lewis trio during the time in which Ramsey Lewis was really working really closely with your father. So they were tight. They'd worked a lot together before even Earth, Wind, and Fire was more than what what they used to say, the old folks say, twinkle in the eye. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think you can totally hear his thumbprint all over That's the Way of the World and all these other songs that really mean something to people. I wanted to bring you into the conversation, Shante. I know you were so small when he passed away tragically in 1976, but I, I, this is, I'm not trying to make people cry, but <laughs> I know, you know all of us have suffered loss at some point and you just wish you could hear their voice again. And I, and I wonder, do you ever feel comforted by the music? I mean, because in some sense, that's the most pure, version of him mm-hmm. and there's a lot of it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um i was just thinking my experience is so different from theirs and knowing that you did you know it was going to be great well it was just always great for me it was always great it was ever present um it was on in the house it was on in the grocery store it was on in the elevator um and oh that's daddy Oh, that's daddy. Those are my earliest memories of my father, our sound clips, you know, the soundtracks of our lives everywhere you go, um, followed by that's daddy, that's daddy. So that has been really um, an interesting experience. I've always liked Earth, Wind & Fire's version of this song. And, you know, I've always thought about when I get married one day, you know, my dad won't be there to walk me down the aisle. So it was such a treasure to have this because it was one of my favorites, you know, and I was like, now I have my dad playing it um, His from the basement. So when I get married, yeah. this is what I intend to walk down Aww, the aisle to. That is beautiful. So yeah. sometimes the music is painful because that's it um but in many ways it's very comforting it's kind of surreal um there's so much emotion and um passion and unwritten love and communication 
that music speaks. Um, so to hear my father on that level, I really don't have any words, but I am eternally grateful. And I, I recognize that it's a special legacy to have. Like you said, many people lose someone. Um, and so, you know, and that is not the same, but it is definitely a unique situation um, because he's impacted so many lives. Um, yeah, it's, it's, oh, please, please laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was, I just did a, a talk with Nona Hendricks from LaBelle and one of the things that we were talking about was LaBelle's connection to Chicago, which I, I, maybe you don't know that they worked a little bit with Curtis Mayfield or whatever. Right. So I was like, oh, that's cool. And one of the things she said was, oh, you're going to play Chicago music? Can you play Stay in My Corner by the Dells? <laughs> I was like, of course I can. Here it is right here. You know, thinking about how far this music went, it means a lot to us, right? I mean, the lovely hat stays on my mind, come on, right? I mean, we could go on and on and on about this music that really your father orchestrated and in, in some cases wrote and often produced, but I think sometimes we forget when we're here sort of how far it went. Have you ever had an experience where you were someplace and you got confronted with the music in a really positive way and it just kind of hit you? That's funny because I did want to address that piggyback off what she said because a lot of people would be like you know he's dead I remember when he first died and this was a famous person's wife and she's like you know your dad is gone and you know I think we all kind of thought it would fizzle away but the reason we are here today is because like Shante said I couldn't go to the grocery store I couldn't stand in an elevator I couldn't be in a department store and I'm not hearing music because a lot of people, what they don't realize about the way that Daddy wrote music, and I'm going to say the way he wrote music, because many times he may not have written the song. And back then the song was just the melody line. It's not like it is now. But what Daddy did with every song that he had to produce or arrange was he turned it into his project and he began to build upon that in a way that I think the average person doesn't understand. So they'll say, well, he didn't write it. I'm like, but you don't know. I heard him write it in the basement. the way this man worked. It was sometimes grueling because you would be like, I'm watching I Love Lucy. How come I gotta hear your tracks under that? You know what I mean? And, uh, and we got him on film. In fact, he was filming us and he said, what you doing? I'm like, I'm watching Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> what you doing? Why are you filming us? You know what I mean? But he, he wrote that song. So that's, I think we told you before earlier why we could not sleep if we had not at least told the world what he did do because we can't go anywhere to this day and not hear him. 
on the Target commercial, I hear his arrangements. We, my daughter the other day, Chris, Chris Hemsworth, it's Leif Fleur is the, the lead. I'm like, that's our lives. So, but most people don't know his music is playing all the time somewhere in the world. Yeah, you know, sorry. <laughs> Um, they all went to the Alvin Ailey Stepney Suite uh, that uh, Ailey invited them in some kind of way. I didn't go. And I was hanging out downtown uh, one afternoon, literally. I literally just looking at flowers and just being goofy. And I said, oh, I'm going to go to Hot Ticks. I'm going to Ailey's Saturday matinee. And I go and I got me a box because I could get it with Hot Ticks. And I'm sitting in the box and I'm listening, watching Ailey. And all of a sudden, they play a Stepney Suite, <laughs> literally, and dance to it. And the tears, you know, I couldn't believe it because I forgot that it was a thing, right? And it was just like, it's so beautiful. And they did a 70s dance. And I was like, oh, that's me. That's my friend, Stephanie. That's my friend, Ken. And we're dancing to my dad's music. Yeah, that's what we were doing. That's exactly what we were doing. It was so amazing. So, you know, I want to say this. I, I, I don't want to really brag or be boastful, but he's honestly one of the most profound creators of modern music, right? Because all of these arrangements, these cadences, and these movements, and the way that he used music became standard, and is standard to this day. But yet, if you know, like I was a composition major, she was a composition major, but you didn't learn about him. And it's like, wait a minute, his his he has impacted all of modern music worldwide. The world should know. So. And for me, um, <laughs> I like the clapping it takes getting used to. Huh? <laughs> the clapping takes getting I used know. to. <laughs> Thank you. Um, again, very different experience. Because um, what keeps coming up for me is an impactful time that I did not know. It was my father's music. And it was during my time at Howard University. I went to the Mecca. H-U? H-U? Any Howard? Okay. Um, <laughs> It was the 90s, it was the height of hip hop, and oh my gosh, were they in my daddy's crates? I had no idea. You puny protozoa, you're so minute you didn't know the gang has been watching you, but instead of just squashing you, I'm scooping you up out of the muck you wallowing like a So I'm at a party and I'm having a ball because Liz Marquis is the DJ and he was just everything. It was him or Kate Capriven. Um, to DJ Oset was crazy, and um, Benita Applebaum comes on, and of course, Everybody's, you know, crowd goes crazy, having the time of our lives. And I think six months later, when Charlene's dealing with the attorney trying to get paid for that sample, they're like, you mean you knew this song? Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to need you to come listen to Rotary and Terry and, you know, go back through some of that old stuff. because Paying your college tuition. Yes. <laughs> but again, just so prolific and involved and intertwined in my life in ways I didn't even know, um, but very impactful still. So, you know, the music that really attracted me originally was sort of that, like that 1967, 68, 69, 70, 71 <laughs> cadet stuff, that, that era. 
And I couldn't even tell you why originally, but one of the first crates that I went through was my grandmother's crates. And my grandmother, I know you're thinking whatever you're thinking when you're thinking of a grandmother, but my grandmother was hip and she wore mini skirts and she worked at WCFL. She was hip. So, like, she definitely had two copies of Come to My Garden. You know what I'm saying? She definitely was into uh, the hip Rotary Connection and all of the cadet stuff. And I think, to a certain extent, it reminds me of her. And it reminds me of what Chicago was like back then. I mean, I wasn't there. But um, I've talked to a lot of folks who were there. And I remember I was talking to um, Minnie Ripperton's... um, Widower? What do you call? Yes. Widower, yeah. Yeah, yeah Richard, Richard Rudolph. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to him. Now you can tell you can tell this is recent because it was on a little Zoom screen. But I was yeah. talking to him on a little square, and I was like, the thing I love about coming to my garden and that whole era is, you couldn't tell me that Hyde Park wasn't the hippest place in the United States of America, <laughs> based on these recordings. And he's like, it's true. It was so hip. You just don't know. And he went on and on and on, talking about Harper Theater and all these other things. Right, right. And it's just like seeing the reverberations and the lineage of that with folks who are sitting here today. And it's just like, it's, it's so cool because I wrote a book called Energy Never Dies. Yes. And I thank you for that. Thank you. I got some in my trunk if you're interested. Stick with me. But part of the reason why I wrote that book is because of your father's music. Because every time I hear LeFleur, Every time I hear any of this music, every time I hear his interpretation of Can't Hide Love, which is very different from the original. You want my love and you can't deny. You know that it's true, but you're trying to hide. You want my love and you can't deny. It's like I've never heard it before. It's, it's, yeah, so to, to, to that point, listening to the new recording, which is based on a lot of these basement tapes, uh, I wrote the liner notes, and when I tell you I was crying when I heard this record, I was just, I'm gonna cry now. I cried just, when I read them, they're beautiful. Oh, well, thank Wait, you. But I think listening to your father, and I mentioned this, um, when you think of Charles Stepney, what you think about is how big those, re- those recordings are. They're, they're larger than life. They're huge. They're expansive. They're like what we are capable of as a people, right? Like that's what it sounds like when you hear Black Gold of the Sun, right? But when you hear these recordings and you, you can hear him... Like with such care, just the intimacy of it, it was, I'm just so grateful that you all are putting this into the world and that people get to hear it. Here it comes. I do think about um, what would daddy say oftentimes if he were to see people that love his work. I think he would be very humble because he could be mean. He could really be mean. He was a jokester. 
He was definitely passionate. He made us clean up to classical music. But um, I think that if he knew that people really loved his work, I think he would say it was all worth it because the time that he put in, and I hear often, you know, about how he was a ghost producer on tracks you would never believe. I'd be like, he was a ghost producer. Oh yeah, he came in when we were in session, he showed us how to do. I mean, no, we'll never know. And to this day, I'm still hearing more work that he did. And you're just like, how did he have time? It wasn't 45 years, because that's when he died, when it was 45 years. So he did it in about 20 something years. He did, he touched so many lives in the industry we always get somebody talking about him. Brenda Russell hit me up. Um, uh, Shaka Khan was a huge fan. Uh, Patrice Russian. I mean, somebody's always telling me something about him because they work with him. When he died, we went through his phone book. It was Suzanne DePass, who was one of my music business mogul. I was like, I want to be like Suzanne when I grow up. I mean, I was he already knew. I was like, man, I wish I could have called her. I was like, I love you, Suzanne and, and Clive Davis. And so the people that he knew and surrounded himself with already knew of his talent. Back in the day, this was before Netflix was around, I would be like, everybody said, what happened? Tom asked me one time, he's like, where was your dad when he had the heart attack? I said, he was at Clarence Avon's house. And I said, but don't nobody seem to know who he is? I said, when I say he's at Clarence Avon's house, they would be like, who? You'd be talking to somebody in the industry. Now everybody knows who he is, right? So I was like, if it hadn't been for Netflix, look at that, another major person. But daddy was negotiating with Clarence Avon the week, week or two before he passed away. So to say that people did not understand his impact even back then is, um, is not true. They understood who he was and what he could bring. And I had a man who was a historian, and you may know this, come to me and he was talking about dad's work. And I said, I just often wonder how dad got into the LA thing because he really wasn't a showy person, anybody who knew him. He stayed in jeans and hush puppies. That was his favorite outfit. I think that's what I got on here. And um, they were like, I said, how did that happen? He said, Clive Davis commissioned a study from Harvard on how to make R&B music crossover. And what they sent him back was, you've got to have orchestral elements in order to make it crossover music. And Clive understood that. And then that's when Maurice said, I know just the man. And Maurice showed up and told Daddy, I think you need to be a part of this because you have the talent to do it. So those are the stories that I have learned over the years about him and what his contributions were. And I appreciate those people who share with me because we just knew him. He made really good bologna sandwiches. <laughs> Before the Stepney sisters and I wrapped up our conversation, Eber, 
the eldest Stephanie sister, had one more story to share. I wanted to speak to the era that you loved the most because um, uh, Jean Barger's daughter, Gina, came today. And he got my dad hired at Chess Records because my mother insisted that he stop gigging all night. She, she did not like that. And um, so, so uh, but you know what's really interesting about that era? The level of collaboration was really, really immense. And the level of respect that they all had for each other in order to consistently collaborate like that. Right. So now they're consistently growing together as a group because they collaborated and they respected each other. And he was the like leadership because he had so much respect for everyone's talent and he knew exactly where to put everybody to make that all work out together. And I can remember talking to him about, oh, you know, this person and they're not that great. Why are you working with them? And he would sit me down and tell me why they were great. He would talk about that genre of music. He would tell me why all music was great. He took me and my sister out to see everyone, starting with Ella Jenkins as little bitty children. I remember I was like sitting on a library floor somewhere listening to Ella Jenkins. And I was like, he's like, you gotta, I'm going to introduce you. You know this lady? <laughs> you know, I just thought he was fantastic. He knew everyone and everyone knew him and they worked together. And that level of understanding orchestra, understanding genres, understanding talent, and knowing exactly where to put everyone was his genius. And I think that that's why in that particular era, um, he was so well respected amongst his peers because they were never disrespected, no matter what their genre was. He knew how to make them the focal point. He knew how to make them the star of their own show, not the star of his show, the star of their own show. And he felt that his talent and his education and his experience was there to support and show and highlight that particular artist. And I think that that was part of the greatness of that era. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Does anybody have a copy of Spirit by any chance? Yeah, could you go ahead? The inner sleeve, though, not the cover. Uh oh. Uh oh. If you don't have it, it's okay. No pressure. I, I do want to say one thing we were talking about. about Ramsey said this to me last year. I was talking to him. And I just called, personal call, because I wanted to know some things about Dad. And he was sweet. He talked to me for a long time. But one thing he said, because I. As a composition major, I was like, I really do want to know, how did you guys handle with Daddy's, Daddy's arrangement? Did he really arrange everything and y'all played it? And he said, yeah. He said, we did. He said, whatever your dad put in front of us, he said, we played it exactly the way he wrote it because he, he knew how to write beautiful music. He said, and we love the beautiful music. I said, so how much improv? He said, we didn't improv unless it's said on the chart, improv here. <laughs> I was like, thank you, but he did share a lot with me. That was one of the things I remembered most. Absolutely. I wanted to read this dedication because this is, uh, this is not my personal copy, but my copy that my grandma had uh, was another one of these records, a touch point. This is uh, 
if you're not familiar with it, Spirit by Earth, Wind & Fire, another one of the last albums that he worked on. Uh, I don't know, maybe you've heard Imagination, Get Away. Maybe you've heard On Your Face in Your Life. But this is the thing that you don't get on Spotify, right? In the inner sleeve, there's a dedication, and it's from Maurice White, and it says, with every band, the departure of spirit must take place. It is a destiny that is inevitable. We, Earth, Wind, and Fire, were blessed to have had a gifted spirit work among us. He has now departed to the next plane. He left with us much beauty and inspiration for humanity to feed upon. The works in this album are dedicated to Brother Charles Stepney, 1931 to 1976. May God embrace his spirit with love. And I want to just thank you to Ayana again. Thank you. Um, you have been a blessing to us since we met you randomly yes. after I called into the radio one day and went to Navy Pier. And when I talk about people who have taught me things about my father, this girl's traits and her head yes. and her knowledge yes. is ridiculous. Um, so thank you so much, Ayana. Thank you. Ayana. And thank you to uh, Scotty and Junius. And Junius. And yes. Junius. Yes.